Thank you so much for playing that, Brother Ben. That really brings back a lot of memories, and it's really good to just praise the Lord with a good old-fashioned song. comes from way, way back, but there's something real about it. My, it just makes your heart throb, doesn't it? Praise the Lord. Maybe we could sing, There is Power in the Blood. I'd like to welcome... Our sister from the UK, Sister Zoe's mother, is here. She just got out of her quarantine, so we just want to welcome you here this evening. God bless you.
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless your name tonight, Lord. Oh, praise God. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. lift up our hands and give thanks unto the Lord. As we've gathered together tonight, we just want to come before him in praise and worship and thanksgiving. Father, we love you this evening, Lord. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus. With all of our hearts, we thank you and we praise your holy name, Lord. We worship you tonight, Lord, for you are worthy, Father. You are so good to us, Lord. Your presence is so wonderful, Father. 
You are our Savior, Lord, our healer, our lifter up, Lord. Oh, God, you lift us up when we're down, Father. You strengthen us when we're weak, Lord. You give life, Lord, when there's death, Father. Oh, Jesus, we love you. You deliver the bound, Father. You break every chain, Lord. You break every fetter, Father. Oh, Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father. This little bride, Lord, this little congregation, joining together with those that have joined with us tonight, Lord. We just want to thank you, Lord. We humble ourselves before you, Father, and worship and praise, Lord, for what you've done for us, Father. Oh, we fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus tonight. Lord, we are a needy people, O God. We have great needs in our midst, Father. But you are the supplier of every need, Lord. You are the healer of every sickness, Father. You are the taker, you are the way maker, Lord. You're changing the circumstances, Father. You're taking what's meant for evil, Lord, changing it for good, Father. Oh, God, your thoughts are good toward us, Lord, not evil, Father. And we thank you, oh God. We pray that you'll meet every need tonight, Lord. Oh God, as Brother Tim would come behind this podium tonight, Lord, may he be unctionized by the Holy Spirit, oh Father, taking that vessel, Lord, using those lips, oh God, and let the word go forth and meet every need tonight, Lord. Oh, both here, Father, and those that have gathered in their homes, Lord, wherever they might be on the internet, Father, down in the States, Lord, Oh, around the world, oh God, you're not limited by time or space, Father. Oh, Lord, you know our needs, Lord. And we thank you, oh God, that you answer our prayer, Lord, that you hear our prayer, Father. Oh, Lord Jesus, we glorify you tonight, Lord. We thank you, Father. Thank you for answering prayer, Lord. Thank you for coming by our way, oh God. And we welcome you tonight, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. Receive our worship, Father. In Jesus' holy name. In everything, give thanks. And we sing that together before we sit down.
Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, we worship you tonight, Lord, and we give you thanks, Father, in every circumstance and in every situation, Lord. Just like the Hebrew children, Lord. Oh, they were anchored in you, oh God. They weren't afraid, oh God. They weren't afraid, but they weren't going to bow, Lord. And so we today, Lord, we're not bound by fear, oh God. But we're filled with praise for the one true and living God who is with us and in us and leading us and guiding us and helping us. Oh, we thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I feel like singing, I shall not be moved. Amen. I shall not be moved. Just like a tree that's planted by the waters, I shall not be moved. Oh, I shall not be I shall not be
I've kept you standing so long, but it seems like you don't mind. You can have your seat if you like. If you want to stay standing, that's fine too. We're going to invite Brother Tim to come and minister. Um, Maybe we can uh, sing majesty, worship his majesty as Brother Tim comes. Brother Tom was just mentioning to me that Brother Ernie is going to be speaking from the camp. Is that correct? Next Sunday night? This Sunday. This coming Sunday. Yes. So this coming Sunday, Brother Ernie Villanueva is going to be speaking to us from the camp. So we're looking forward to that. We haven't seen him or heard from him for a long time. So us on the Canadian side will have to be happy with looking at a screen and seeing his face. But so wonderful to have you here, Brother John. We missed you when you weren't. So it's good to see your smiling face and feel your energy and your vibrance. Praise the Lord. We'll invite our brother Tim to come. Oh, majesty, worship his majesty. to do tonight to lift up the majesty of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ 
the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's none like that. There's no name higher than that. There's no place that we would rather go to than the feet of Jesus. Lord, even as we heard recently of the washing of His feet, we come with our tears. We come with our offering. We come with our life, O God. We come to worship You, Lord. Lord, we know as You knew that woman that washed Your feet, You know us today. Lord, You know our needs. You know our burdens. You know, O God, that which we have committed unto You. And we are believing, O God, that You will keep that. And Lord, we commit this service now to You. As we turn to Your Word, the people have worshipped. Your adoration has been on their lips, O God. They've come not to hear from a man, but to hear from You, O Lord. So Lord, may You just look out across this congregation here in the homes, across the lands, wherever it may be. Lord, may You do that which is pleasing in Your sight. For it is Your Word, and Your Word will never fail. And Lord, we commit ourselves now to You. Bless the reading of Your Word and the hearing of it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together, turn to the book of First Samuel, or the first book of Samuel, chapter 3. Thank you, Brother Nathan. Greet you all in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you glad to be gathered in His name tonight? Amen. God bless you. That must be Mama up there. Welcome. God bless you. Good to see you and each and every one that's made it in, whether for all the way from England. Uh, there, I know there are people streaming this service from around the world, and we send out our greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to just go right to the Word and uh, have a thought on my heart. I actually um, was burdened to preach on divine healing tonight, actually. Uh, but just seem impressed of the Lord to take this direction. Uh, and so uh, I, I thought, well, I could just maybe lay out the fundamentals of divine healing and increase our faith, knowing that there are several needs in the body. But, uh, uh, you know, because faith comes by hearing the Word. And so we want to be encouraged by the Word. We believe the Word. But when we hear the Word, it inspires our faith and lifts our faith each and every day that we feed on the Word of God. And so we want to take, and I'm sure that this will also inspire you this morning, I want to speak on the value of a vindicated message, or if I could say it in another way, the value of an open vision. The value of an open vision. 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the temple of the Lord went out in the, ere the lamp of the Lord went out rather in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. That the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not. Lie down again. And he went and laid down. You know, it's amazing. Sometimes the Lord speaks to us. We don't know it's the Lord speaking to us. 
It's a true, it's true with all of us. And I'm sure we could look back in our life. But as time goes on and with instruction, we begin to learn that it's the Lord speaking to us. So let's read a little bit further. It says, and verse six, and the Lord called yet again Samuel. And Samuel rose up and went to Eli and he said, here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. So even while Samuel didn't know the Lord, the Lord was speaking to him. All right. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And I'll read one more scripture, verse 19. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. Amen. The Lord add His blessing to the Word. You may have your seats. We have been speaking and ministering in the subject of the, the Lamb's Book of Life and in the opening of that book and the joy at recognizing your name written on that book. And the value of it is something that we want to delve in tonight, tonight or focus our thoughts in tonight because we we have to recognize that the opening of the book or the opening of the seals, the opening of those seals takes us not just to the atonement, which is at Calvary, but it takes us to realize the full value of the atonement that was done at Calvary. All right? Now, many aspects or some aspects of that atonement of Calvary was hidden down through the ages only to be revealed when the book becomes open. Only to be revealed when the the seals are loosed. And Brother Branham so brings it out, I believe, in the Feast of the Trumpets and says that as the seventh trumpet is to Israel, so is the seventh seal to the bride. And I've, I've mentioned it before, but it's a, a strong principle in the word of these last days that you need to catch because the seventh trumpet was to call Israel to the day of atonement. And it was, it was an Old Testament feast. It was a literal feast in the Old Testament, but it was a foreshadowing of the calling of Israel in the tribulation time. And under the seventh trumpet, spiritually speaking, it will, it will draw Israel to Jesus Christ in the tribulation time, not for a new day of atonement, but for a recognition of what was done for them in the day of atonement at Calvary. Alright? So now Israel has to recognize that atonement in order to receive the value of the atonement. The atonement's already made for them. Amen. There's no, there's nothing to be added to what was done at Calvary. It's not the blood of Jesus Christ and something additional. It's not something that God is waiting for Israel to do. He's already done it. 
But God is dealing with the Gentiles until the day of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And then he will turn his attention back to the Jews and under the trumpets call them to a recognition of what was done for them at Calvary. Then they can receive the benefit of what was already done. Now can you imagine having 2,000 years as a nation of Israel an atonement paid for them but yet not being able to recognize as the scripture says their eyes were closed that our eyes as Gentiles could come open. So we have received the benefit of it. But then Brother Branham says that the seventh seal is to us what the seventh trumpet is to them. That is to say, it's the opening of the seals that allows us to recognize the value that lays in the atonement. All right? Now, if I, if I had a million dollars in cash, in and we'll say U.S. dollars, which is worth more than Canadian dollars. If I had a, a million U.S. dollars in a box here in cash, most of you here, well, pretty much all of you, would not need an explanation of the value. But yet, even not needing an explanation, some of you would think, that's a new house. That's a new car. Right? That's a paying off of my debts. Come on. They, you, 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 when, when someone holds a million dollars in front of you, you just, you don't think about the paper and the ink. You're thinking about what it can purchase. You're thinking about what it can pay for. To some, it might be a cabin by the lake, or it might be some other things, and, and, and all of those things. But I, I said to my wife, I says, what if I took that box and I put it on a parachute, and I dropped it into a tribe in, in the Amazon River Basin, into a tribe that had no contact with the outside world, that had never seen a U.S. dollar before, what would it mean to them? It might mean fire starter. That might be all it means. It burns very well. It might mean something else, it, but to them, they would not envision it because they do not know the value of it, having not been taught the value of a million dollars. All right? And so, and so it is with the message of the hour, it, you know, and I'll just say a message in general, something that is said to you. If I said to you tonight that the Lord spoke to me today, that the stock market is going to crash tomorrow. It's too late, right? It's already gone down. But if I said to you, it's going to crash tomorrow, if it might mean something different to each and every one of you. It's just a message. It's just a few words. But those of you that have nothing in the stock market, no pension plan, no nothing, might think, well, doesn't bother me. Uh, just life goes on and says. But if you have something in the market, maybe some pension funds or some savings or something, you might think, I better sell first thing in the morning. Right? It's a message that you recognize the value of the message because it means something to you individually. And it could save you from catastrophe. It could save you from, from something else in life. Uh, just a simple message, just a few words. But so is it in the opening of the seals. The opening of the Lamb's Book of Life does not add anything to the atonement. Alright? It does not add anything to what was paid. What was paid was already paid. But what the opening of the book does, it brings on full display the power and the scope of the atonement. 
That whereas, now, now let me just say this, that the, the gap that was bridged by the blood of Jesus Christ is to take us back to our position as sons and daughters of God. But the full meaning of that statement is not really realized until this hour. Not never until the book become open, until the mysteries were finished, do we fully realize what it means to be sons and daughters of God, what our rights are, what our inheritance is, what our portion is. Because when you can fully recognize the promise of God, as Brother Branham says, the right attitude towards any divine promise. And you've heard me make these statements before, but I'm I'm just trying to focus our thoughts as we begin tonight, uh, as the Lord dealt with me today, as he deals with every preacher before he preaches. But as he dealt with me, is to focus your thoughts on one thing. There's a value to this message you have been given. It's not just a message. It's not just something that had to happen. There's a value to it. And now the world, now the world and the religious order will not believe the message. It's not sent to the world. It's not sent to the religious order. Just as Jesus was not sent to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of those. They believed if God was going to do something, it would have to come to them. They believe that, that if any, God was going to do anything important, it will come through the Pharisees or it'll come through the Sadducees. Just as this day, there's people that believe if God's going to do anything, it'll have to come through the Catholic Church. Or if God's going to do anything, it'll have to come through the Pentecostal Church or it'll have to come through the Methodist Church or whatever it is. If it doesn't come through that, then it's not God. But that's not the way God operates. All right. And while the world and the religious order believes that it is normal that sin rules in our day, that salvation through Jesus, because many people believe in salvation through Jesus, makes us acceptable in heaven, though we're sinners. Now God gives us an access into heaven being sinners. That's as far as is revealed to most Christians. But the reality of the word is, we always were sons and daughters of God. That's the mystery that's being revealed and made known in these last days. The reality is that we we have been subjected to a sinful birth in order to express, and it's important you catch this statement now, in order to express the full measure of Jesus Christ. That's the reason that we were born in sin is that we could express all that Christ is. Because if you were not born in sin, you would not be subject to sickness. So you could not express that he's your healer. If you were not born in sin, you could not express him as a savior. If you were not born in sin, you would not be subject to the anxieties and the pressures of this world. If you, had you not, we could say it in another way, had you not bypassed your theophany, you would know all things. And therefore, you would not be deceived. You would not be discouraged. You would not be uh, looking out, wondering what the future holds, because you would know already. All right, but we had to bypass our theophany. We had to bypass that that perfect body to come into a sinful body. So the Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 15, you're, you're familiar with this, so I'll just read it. It says, we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption 
whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Brother Branham says, adoption is the placing of a son. We have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Amen. All right. Now, it's not God giving you the Holy Spirit to assure you. It's giving you the Holy Spirit to show you who you are. Because only the elect can be born again. Okay. So now, he says, and if children, all right, you have the Holy Spirit, it bears witness that you are a child of God. Uh, That's really my whole service today and every day. The Holy Spirit bears witness that you're a child of God. If you could really see yourself the way God sees you, nothing would faze you. And that's the whole of the preaching of the Word. Whether I'm preaching, somebody else is preaching, is to get you to see yourself how God sees you. Alright? And he's, and the Bible goes, and if children, how many are children? You children of God? Amen? If children, it says, then heirs. Alright? Heirs of God. Join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, Brother Murphy went into that on Sunday, that we may also be, be also glorified together. And he says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now here's the scripture I wanted to get to. For the creature was not made subject to vanity, was made subject to vanity, not willingly. We didn't ask to be born in sin. We didn't ask to be born in unbelief. We didn't ask to be born in spiritual amnesia. We didn't ask to be born without an understanding of who we are. We did not come into this world saying, I'm a son of God. Nothing's going to faze me. No, we came into this world not knowing who we are. Thinking that we're, in my case, I'm the son of Gerald and Dorothy Dodd. That's what, that's what I thought. But later on in life, I found out that that's not really my parents. That's just the, the lineage of this body. But really, I have a heavenly father. That I'm a son of God. I'm not the son. Brother Branham said this way. I'm not the son of Charles and Ella Branham. Amen. Why? Because something greater has become a reality. The creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope, or, as Brother Tom so aptly preaches it, expectation. It's an expectation. The reason that you were born in sin is God had a great expectation for you. Hallelujah. All right. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Hallelujah. That's the promise. So for eternity we have been sons. Just we are now being placed in our inheritance by faith or revelation. All right? 
You always were an attribute of God. Your name always was written on the Lamb's book of life. Bible says before the foundation of the world. You were always written there. But you didn't know you were written there. Alright? That's why there's great joy at the revelation that your name's written on the book. As Jesus said to the disciples. So the word is placing us in our inheritance. Now. In preaching of the seals, and I'm just laying a foundation here, many of these things you've heard before, and I trust is nothing new to you, but just bringing our minds together this evening. In preaching the seals, Brother Branham, a ministry signally used of God, that means by signs and wonders, vindicated of God. The preaching of the seals declares a message that the book is open. If I had time, I'd go into the purpose of a seer. And I've mentioned it briefly before, and I'll mention it briefly again. A seer is to see into a realm we cannot see into. We're not made to see into. And God brings him to a place, as God anoints you or me, God anoints a prophet to be able to see things that that God wants him to show for the time that he's living in or for the days that are to come. And so as, as he begins to declare his message, that that's why Brother Branham even says about himself, not... Not in the first pull, not the second pull, not the sign of the hand, not divine healing, but in the opening of the word as he begins to declare his message. What is that message declaring? It's not just declaring doctrine. It's not just declaring, oh, you know, the first, the, the pale, the white horse rider is this and the black horse rider is this and the red horse rider is this and the pale horse rider is this and the fifth seal means this and the sixth seal means this. That's, that's not what it's all about. It's, it's more than that. That's, those are things that are signifying the book is open. The mysteries are revealed. The thunders have uttered their voices. And it's all being given out to the bride of Jesus Christ. The Lamb has taken the book to put it into the hands of the bride. As Calvary was an expression. Jesus dying at Calvary. Many men died on the cross. But there was one man that died on the cross that signified something different. I'm sure that there were down through the ages many men that preached on the seven seals. But when one preached on the seven seals in this day, it meant something different. When Jesus died on Calvary and the veil was rent from the top to the bottom, it signified that the, that the way into the Holy of Holies was now made accessible to more than the high priest. That every son and daughter of God must come into the Shekinah glory of God. Whereas before it was death to enter in, now it's death not to enter in. Amen? That's what Calvary signified. It was a total change. And now I'll say Revelation 5, declaring that the book is open, it is declaring that where before it was impossible to understand who you are, it was impossible to understand what the rapture was, it was impossible to understand the mysteries of God, but now it is necessary to receive this revelation. It was a signification. 
It would have been death to add anything to the word. To try and probe at it and say, well, the seals means this or the seals mean that or this means this or this means that. But now the mystery is finished. And it's, and it's not death, but rather it's a revelation of what's laying in the word of God. And it's death now to reject the revelation of the word. It is the only way out of a sin-cursed age. A perfect faith in a perfect word sent to produce a perfect rapture. All right. That's the foundation. Brother Brandon picks up the scripture that we, we read and, uh, in Samuel. And he preaches several different places on the message, uh, the voice of God. And in, in 1963, before the opening of the seals in Phoenix, he may, I just want to read something that he says here because it was, it was very, uh, very much how God was dealing with me on this. But I want you to hear it for yourself. And he says, God has promised to meet the need of the hour. He always does that. And we need the voice of God today. To meet the need of the hour. To meet the time that we're living in. Alright, now we could just apply that to all the events that are going on around us. Whether it be economic events, health related events, pandemic, economic, governmental, people restless in the streets and whatever more. He says, and after he promised it, we can rest assured that he will keep his promise. That's the confidence that the believer has in his maker that he promised to meet the need. And today, one reason that the church is in the condition that it's in is because there's so many voices, so many other voices to attract the church from the voice of God. Till it's very doubtful that many would hear the voice of God, though it spoke right in their midst. I say, Lord, don't let us go there. He says they perhaps wouldn't even understand it because it would be a foreign thing to them. They've got themselves so much centered on the voices of the day. And there are so many other voices. And then if God promised that he would give us that, and if other voices are contrary to the voice of God, then it must be the voice of our enemy to confuse us. That we would not understand the voice of God when it spoke. There is so many voices in the earth today. Excuse me for just reading another paragraph here. But there are so many voices in the earth today that it is absolutely a hard thing because it deadens the voice of the supernatural. Listen, if we need anything today, it's the voice of the supernatural. Not just a voice of doctrine or a voice of uh, uh, of. Uh, constancy or stability or trying to hold things together, but the voice of the supernatural. And he said, there is so many intellectual voices, great voices of mighty men who are intellectual, that in their intellectual conditions even shake the nations. They're not overnight people, but they shake nations, bringing great organizations together, great campaigns, floweredly, and a person could be a bit confused. It's enough to confuse them of how that these things go on and prosper. 
And there's voices that raise up and do these things. And it causes the voice of God to be placed way back somewhere. The true voice of God. That was in 1963. Here we are in 2020. Almost done 2020. And we're living in an hour of a... It's almost become redundant to say there's a proliferation of voices. There, there's, there's social media and internet and... And uh, the, the spreading of so many voices to overwhelm the true voice of God. And I was thinking about what someone had written. And he says, we have come to a time where young people are being taught that it is more important to have an opinion or a voice than it is to make sure you know what you're talking about. Let me say that again. We've come to an hour where our young people in the education system of this day, I trust not our school, but in the schools of this hour, are being taught it's more important to have a voice than it is to make sure that you know what you're talking about. And and so we have this proliferation of media where people say, well, I gotta have a voice and I gotta have my opinion and I gotta have my say. And they don't have a clue what they're talking about. They don't have any idea. They've never done anything in their life. They probably, a lot of them never even made their beds. You know, and they're, and they're just spouting off, uh, this is what I think and this is what I think and this is what I think should be done and this is what I think is important. And, and Brother Bram says, this multitude of voices, the purpose, the objective of it is the enemy that's trying to confuse the true voice of God. And the devil wants that so many voices, but when a vision opens up for an age, and I want to just emphasize this now, When God opens His vision, when God sends His Word, and I'll speak about what an open vision is in just a second here, but when He he, he sends an open vision to an age, it is not an opinion. It is an absolute. It is not designed to argue with other voices. It says what it says, and those, as Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. A stranger they will not follow. And so in the midst of all of this, if we are living in the last days, and we are, if we are living in the deceiving hour, a perilous hour, if we are living in a time of great treacherousness on every angle, then there must be a voice. And I'll say to somebody, if you haven't heard that voice tonight, let me tell you, that voice is there. I heard that voice. How many have heard that voice? And it means more to us than any other voice in this age. Because we have heard the clear voice of God. And God, yet God in the midst of an hour like we're living in, hides that voice in simplicity. Moses went up on the mountain. And Moses was with God for 40 days. 
up on the mountain till the people thought there's nobody can survive that. The mountain is trembling and rumbling and lightnings and earthquakes and all kinds of things. And, and, and Moses is gone for 40 days. And after 40 days, the people said, well, you know, ain't nobody going to survive that. Moses is dead, Aaron. You might as well lead us, make us a calf and all of the things of false worship that they did. But Moses was hearing the clear voice of God. But yet God was speaking in such simplicity after 40 days. Moses brings down 10 simple sentences. 10 sentences after 40 days. 40 days, 10 sentences. That's all, Brother Mark. Just 10 sentences. Have you ever heard of serpent seed? It can be just a simple sentence that causes the voice of God to be heard. Ten sentences. He comes down from a mountain with a sentence like, Thou shalt not commit adultery. I was thinking about these simple statements. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not uh, bear false witness and so on. Now God says, He has Moses to take this tablet and he, God's written it in stone. Thou shalt not commit adultery. There's no explanatory notes. There's no commentary. There's no dictionary. There's no additions to it. Simple. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Just straightforward. I'll just take that one sentence. No excuse. No details. And because it's the law, no grace. Black and white. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It's Moses that elaborates later on under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If somebody commits adultery. This is how you are to deal with it. But for God, thou shalt not commit adultery. And now, I want to ask you a question. Does animal life commit adultery? No. Animals don't commit adultery. Therefore, the law was not for animals. The law was for the children of God. The law was for the elect. Why? Because marriage is given only to the children of God. Marriage was not given to animals. Are you with me so far? It's because it's a type of something that is greater than just a natural relationship. It's a type of the invisible union between the heavenly bridegroom and the earthly bride. It's a reflection of something that is supernatural and that is spiritual and it's not just a natural law. Amen? It came from the supernatural and it reflects what is in the supernatural and what is in the eternal and it goes beyond just natural life. And so that's why in this even, in the age that we're living in, we call it Satan's Eden, we have such a proliferation of immorality. Because they cannot catch the supernatural meaning. They cannot catch the eternal meaning. And I'll go further and say, because in Satan's Eden, if you can bear with me, this is just Brother Tim. But in Satan's Eden, the highest form of life in Satan's Eden, according to the founder of that Eden, is the serpent. Not the sons of God. Because the sons of God are meant for another place. This is not our home. Neither are these our laws. 
when they say, it's okay to re- divorce and remarry. It's okay to have uh, more than one wife, which is what that is. It's okay for a man to marry a man and a woman to marry a woman. It's okay for this. It's okay for that. That's not my law. That's not where I came from, and that's not the vision that I have. In the midst of all of these voices, you understand what I'm saying? It's okay for a man to think he's a woman. And it's okay for a woman to think she's a man. And it's okay for them to have this kind of relationship and that kind of relationship. Why? Because those are things that in the animal kingdom have no bearing on the children of God. But the children of God have a higher calling. And because we have a higher calling, when he speaks his voice, that voice is clear to the elect. Amen. It's clear to the elect. When the Bible says that shall not... Well, Brother Tim, you know, I was caught in this or I thought this or... No, when a son of God or daughter of God hears that, that smites them. There were people when Brother Branham preached marriage and divorce that said, what should we do? Should we get divorced? Should we leave our... Should we put them away? Because they had been remarried under denominational thinking. Under denominational religion, they had been told it was okay. Now they're coming under the light of the hour. And Brother Brandon had to deal with situations of sons and daughters of God that were convicted by the clear voice of God. Why? Because that mystery was laying in those seals. And it had to be revealed in our day. Don't worry, I'm not preaching on marriage and divorce. But what I'm saying is, when that clear word comes, it smites us. But I'll, I'll be glad to say this. In this hour, we're not under the law, but now there's grace in this hour. Oh, I'm so glad there's grace. I'm so glad I'm not approaching him on the basis of my ideas or my works that I did. Hallelujah. Are you okay so far? All right. Just holding my train of thought here. The Apostle Paul, we know he was a very religious person all of his life. Taught well, or taught at least fervently. Uh, raised at the feet of Gamaliel, who sat on the Sanhedrin council. Uh, he was uh, a ze- zealous man. But when he came on the road to Damascus and heard the voice of God, it snapped him out of his religious, I'll say dogmatism. It snapped him out of that as he saw the scripture for what it was and the absoluteness as he began to digest it, that which he had already studied, but he had begun to see it in a new light. That's why when a person hears about the serpent seed, like the first time I heard about the serpent seed, if they're, if they're a, a religious person at all, if they've been through the Bible at all like I was, then immediately when they understand that the sin in the Garden of Eden was not an apple, but was a sexual act between Eve and the serpent, immediately that begins to tie the scriptures together. Why? Because it, you've, and yet it was laying there all the time, but it took a voice. It took something from God to say, this is what it is. And that simple statement opens up the entire scripture, brings it into a reality. And Paul, it became so real to Paul, that light that shone upon him, that word that was spoken to him. As God began to reveal his word to Paul, it was so real to him, he could stand and say, I'm not ashamed to tell you that even if an angel preaches something different than what I have preached unto you. Let that angel be accursed. 
Paul recognized the absoluteness of it. Are you with me tonight? The absoluteness of the word that had been delivered in his day. Paul was the first messenger. Paul was a prophet. Paul was the one that now was breaking forth for the church ages. The deity of Jesus Christ. And the and the revelation of the Godhead. And all of these things. And as he began to lay the foundation for all the church ages to come. Just read the, the Ephesus church ages. Brother Branham talks about it. He was the example of a true minister. He, he was, he had the works of the word in his life. He had, he stayed true to the word of God. He had the evident fruit of a ministry. All of these things, a man of God, so that we can look back and say, that man heard the voice and it produced those results. And any man that hears the voice of God produces the same results. So that's what Samuel did. He heard the voice of God. Hearing his voice, Brother Branham says, in that day was a rare thing. There was no open vision. It was a rare thing. The real voice of God because people had gotten away. He says, there was no open vision. And then he says, the word of God was made real. That's what an open vision is. It takes this Bible And it makes it live. An open vision is not some philosophical prophecies. An open vision is not some, uh, what is that guy's name? Nostradamus. That talks about some things in dark sayings about the future that this will happen. That's not an open vision, folks. That's just some man caught up in something. An open vision takes this book and makes it live. That's what an open vision is. And so Samuel, as he began to, as God began to reveal himself to Samuel, now the people begin to recognize, oh, God is with this man. Oh, God is speaking through this man. This is not just a preacher now. This is not just somebody uh, that's taught well or somebody that's diligent or somebody that's fervent or somebody that's that's hardworking or somebody that studies hard. This is somebody whom God is speaking to and by virtue of that speaking through him. And Brother Bradham says in the message desperation, as he, he talks about Samuel in desperation, he says, he says, Samuel, the first prophet for many, many years, because a mother got desperate that she could have no children. And she was past the age of bearing, probably 60, 70 years old. And she prayed with desperation. She must have this child. What was it? God had spoke to her, no doubt. He says, you can't be desperate until God speaks to you. Oh, church, rise and shake yourself. Pinch your conscience is a familiar quote, but I want to zero in on something here. Wake yourself up in this hour. We must be desperate or perish. All right, now don't misinterpret that. Brother Branham just said you can't be desperate unless God speaks to you. And then he says you must be desperate or perish. So what he's saying is if God doesn't speak to you, you will perish. If you don't hear the voice of God, which is the only thing that will make you desperate? If you don't hear God's voice, then you're headed the way the rest of the world is headed, and that's to a perishing. 
And so we're living in an hour where it's of vital importance to hear the voice of God. He says, he says, uh, there's coming something forth from the Lord. He says, I know it is thus saith the Lord. What's thus saith the Lord? It's an open vision. It's the word of God made real. It's the revelation for your day. It's the absolute being established in this age. You know, uh, we can say the Bible's an absolute. And I'll just say this. Because sometimes I hear little inklings of this. Well, the Bible's the absolute. Of course it's the absolute. But if the Bible isn't made alive in your day, you don't have a clue what an absolute is. The Bible, being the absolute, must be made alive. It takes the voice of God to make the Word of God alive to you individually. It becomes an absolute to you in that life. It becomes something that's so anchored that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. The devil has no hope to stumble you. He has no hope to tear you away from God. Because against this, the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen. It's it's just absolutely there. Brother Bram says, I know it is thus saith the Lord. Why does he know it is that? Because he's the one through whom is coming the open vision. There's coming forth something, he said, and we better get desperate. It's between life and death. It'll pass through us and we won't see it. Oh, saints, the voice of God is passing through this room. Are you hearing it? The voice of God is passing through this age. Are you hearing it? The voice of God is ministering all around the world. Have you heard it? Is it real to you? Is it recognized in your life as the voice of God? If you know how I preach, you know where I'm going now. Because, and it's because of this and the lateness of the hour that we have to be very sensitive very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because I'll say it this way. Leadership comes by vision. But following comes by being sensitive. I want to say that again. Leadership comes by vision. Without a vision, the people perish. Leadership comes by vision. But following comes by being sensitive. You've got to be able to follow the leadership. Hallelujah. Are you ready now? Yeah, we got to where we want to get to. Praise the Lord. Oh, I love the word. Don't you love the word? It just stirs my heart. I was just feeding on it all day today and just enjoying it. Praying, Lord, couldn't somebody else preach? <laughs> like we all do. And, uh, you know, I, I love the word. And, you know, just praying even in my office, Lord. Uh, I, I just, I don't feel adequate, but I, I don't see any way to get out of it. <laughs> so here we are tonight. This is a great, great thing. Because the most, I don't want to be too, too extravagant on this, but the greatest thing that can happen to your life on a regular basis is for God to answer your prayer. I'm talking beyond salvation. I realize as Brother John said, the second thing is a godly wife. And that's what Brother Brown said. But beyond that, 
on a daily basis that you know that God has heard my prayer. That's the great thing. That's what we need, not, not a debate. The Word of God does not come for debates. The Word of God does not come to bring a difference of opinions. Well, I think it's this way, well, but I think it's that way. That's not what it's about. The Word of God is an absolute, and if we receive it the right way, and, and we, we believe it the right way, if it's revealed to us the way it's supposed to be revealed to us, then it will cause an effect within our prayers that, as Jesus said, if you believe what you ask for, you will have it. Alright? This is where I wanted to come to tonight, where I felt led. Brother Branham says in 1950, he says, he says to the church now, he says, surely I would have some knowledge of what I'm speaking of, or God would never honor my prayer to do what he does. So now Brother Brown's expressing this to a church in Louisville, Kentucky, actually. Interesting. Louisville, Kentucky. There's riots going on there right now. They're, it's, they're up in arms right in this city. And here in this city stood a prophet of God. And told them, surely I know what I'm talking about or God wouldn't hear my prayer. Listen folks, don't be deceived by all the voices that, well I think it's this way and our church thinks it's that way and I think this is important and I think that's important and this is the move of the hour. Listen, here's, there stood a little man that brought it right down to the proof of the pudding and said, listen, if I was telling you a lie, God would not do the things that he's doing. This is a vindicated message. This is a vindicated open vision. And that's where God is honored to hear the words of a prophet. But now in the message, perfect faith, he goes beyond just himself. He says, you're a Christian. You have the rights to any redemptive blessing that Jesus died for you for. Amen. Can we say amen to that? You have the rights to any redemptive blessing. You have the rights to any redemptive blessing. You have the rights to any redemptive blessing. Name your blessing. Name your promise. You have the rights to it. It's yours. It's, it's God paid for. It's already there. He says it's all yours. It's already paid for. He says you just have to believe it. Not imagine it. But believe it and know that it's yours and you can possess it. Amen. That's the important part of the Word of God coming to you individually. You've got to know this is yours. Not that this is true. Hello? Not that this is true. We can all sit here and say, yes, the Word of God is true. It's like the man, uh, I, I, I don't know if it's Brother Branham or somebody else talked about it. He says, you know, the man that says, you know, I believe I could, I could walk across that log across the river. And, and, and the fellow that's with him says, yes, sir, I believe you too. And I believe I could walk across that river blindfolded and still make it across that log. And, and the man said, I believe you could. And, and he says, I believe I can walk across that river blindfolded, pushing a wheelbarrow and still make it across the log. And the man says, I believe you could. And the, and the other man says, well, I believe I could walk across that blindfolded with a wheelbarrow and put you in it and still make it. And the man says, I'm not so sure. Because when it came to him being a part of the vision, everything else was true until it came to him. Now listen, it's not that these promises are true. It's not that this message is true. It's your message. 
These are your promises. If nobody else makes it, this is my inheritance. I'm claiming every redemptive blessing. I'm claiming every part of it. God has spoken to me. I have heard the voice of God. I have received from the open vision in this hour. I am a recipient of a vindicated message. Come on, saints. And I realize I'm not wanting you to get emotionally involved in it. I'm wanting you to, it, you to let it strike your heart. Think deeper from Him. I've always believed these things is true, but, I, but, but do I believe it's me? Do I believe it's me? Hallelujah. Jesus knew that it would happen. He could predict before that it would happen because He knew it would happen. Whatever He predicted come to pass. God honored what He said. He knew He pleased God. He knew that there was nothing on his life. Oh, you could take each one of these sentences. Brother John, you could preach a sermon on each one of these sentences. He, he knew that he pleased God. Send us, spend a whole service on that. You wonder sometimes we're in a preacher, spends a whole service on just a little thought because God's trying to get that thought into us. In, a, in the next sentence, he says, he knew that there was nothing on his life. If you could know that you stand in the presence of God completely justified. As though you never sinned in the first place. You would be walking by the same revelation that Jesus was walking by. He knew there was nothing against his life. And a believer accepted confessing their sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. Send those sins back on the head of the devil where they came from. And you stand spotless, virtuous, without blemish in his sight. Totally justified. Which means you never did it in the first place. That's why I thought to even bring quotes on divine healing. I could go through quote after quote after quote where Brother Branham just describes. He says, you think it's because of this and you think it's because of that. You think maybe because you backslid or you think maybe because you did this or you maybe think it's not for you or you maybe think you don't have enough faith. He says, just get that under the blood of Jesus Christ and walk on with God. It must materialize. Hallelujah. That's the word of God. Oh, I can't help but get stimulated under it. God had already testified, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm pleased to dwell in at the day of his baptism. I'm pleased to make my abode in here. There's no condemnation to him at all. And when the same God comes to you and is pleased to dwell in you, Pleased to honor your word. What your decision is. Hallelujah. He says, what was Joshua's decision? He says, stand still, son. And it stood there. Amen. Sure. What was Moses' decision? Held his stick over a river. Called for it to open and it opened. See, whatever you ask. If you say to this mountain, be moved. And don't doubt in your heart. But believe what you said will come to pass. You can have what you say. That puts you back in the Word. That's why God sent an open vision in this hour. Is to take you back to your position of sonship. All of creation waited for the manifestation or the revelation of the sons of God. Revealed to them personally who they are. By the seals being uncovered. 
The book being opened and you being shown your name by the revelation of the word. I am his attribute. Don't worry, I'll go further. When he's pleased to honor our word. When he's pleased to honor our decision. Why? Why is he pleased to do that? Because it brings us into the book of remembrance. Two weeks ago tonight I preached on that. The book of remembrance. Because he, we come to the place of what he thought of us. That's where you come to by faith in the promised word. When he wrote us on the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, it wasn't just your name. It it was that Eli will hear my word and he'll say amen to every part of it. And when you come to that place, it brings you to that place of remembrance because God is now remembering his own thoughts. I thought that, and here it is. Hallelujah. The book becoming revealed. The revelation of your name written in that book. And so the elect of God receiving the inspiration of who you are, when our faith lines up with His eternal thoughts, that brings a remembrance to God. It's not you remembering His Word. It's God remembering His thoughts. There it is. That's what I wrote there. That's what was in my thoughts. He would believe it. She would believe it. They would accept it. They would. Oh, I almost got ahead of myself there. A remembrance. A remembrance. You say, oh, Brother Tim, what do I have to do to bring remembrance? There was a thief on the cross. Oh, Lord. There was a thief on the cross. He had what we might call a set to. He had an argument with the other thief. They were both religious. But the other thief thought about it in the realms of man religion. If you're the Christ, if you're the one, then get off the cross and take us with you. Help us to get off the cross. We don't want to die like this. And and he was he was almost arguing with Jesus, or he was rebuking Jesus, thinking in his religious mind, if this is who you are, then surely you can help me be what I want to be. And there was no no reaction from Jesus to him. But the other thief, who said to that thief, "Listen, this man did nothing wrong. We're getting what we deserve." But this man did nothing wrong. And, and he says, we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. And then he says to Jesus, Lord, remember me. Hallelujah. He's talking to the eternal God. The eternal God who does not have new thoughts. And he's saying to this God, remember me. Was I in your mind already? Can you remember me? Can you bring me back to your remembrance? Oh, and Jesus turns to him and says, This day you will be with me in paradise. I remember you. You said the right thing. You had the right reaction to the word. You came into my presence and you did the right thing. 
and I remember you. And you'll be with me in paradise. Oh, the book of remembrance. What joy is in the book of remembrance? What joy. And yet that man hanging there. Think about it, Brother Tom. That man hanging there had nothing to present. Zero. It was not based upon works. He deserved to die. He was hanging there on the cross. And yet even, even then he couldn't even be baptized. Some people say, well, I was baptized in his name. I think that's what he wanted me to do. Now I've done it. He couldn't even be baptized. He had zero to present. But Jesus said, I remember you. You were in my thoughts before the foundation of the world. You might have, you might be here tonight. Believe me. I felt like that today as I was praying. Lord, I have nothing to present. But remember me. Lord, remember me in this rapture. Remember me in your move in these last days. Remember me in times of need. Remember me. And then I just began. I began to go through my children. Remember this one. Remember that one. Remember that one. Remember this one. Lord, surely they were in your mind before the foundation of the world. All I'm asking is that you remember them. Hallelujah. It's not my thoughts. It's his thoughts that matter. It's not me remembering them. It's him remembering them. Oh my. The seed of God quickened. In every age opens the book of remembrance. When all is done, remember me. You know, Job wanted to be remembered. I'm out of time, but I'm almost here at the end. Stay with me just for a moment. Job, he says, oh, that thou would hide me in the grave. Oh, that thou would keep me secret until thy wrath be past. That thou would appoint me a set time and remember me. Hallelujah. Job had a revelation. Lord, just remember me. I trust I'm in your mind. Let there be a remembrance. Let me be a jewel in your sight, as God said in Malachi. When you remember me, let there be something of value that you look at me and consider it worthwhile that I be part of the resurrection. Oh, Job had a re- God had a remembrance for Job. And that's where God even dealing with Job. And this is where we come to a close here. But God dealing with Job, I want you to catch this now. What God was dealing with was his thoughts that he had expressed to Satan, to Lucifer. And he told him, he says, have you considered my servant Job? Now these are God's thoughts. A perfect man. A man that escheweth evil. And Satan tried to say, oh, well, actually, it's because you put a hedge about him. Or it's because you spare his life. Because you haven't touched him. Because of this. Because of that. Listen, the devil had lots of arguments. But God knew his thoughts towards Job. And Job sat there on the ash heap saying, Lord, remember me. And God's looking down at him saying, there he is. That's the perfect one that I remember. 
That's the one that I was talking about. I knew he'd say that. I knew he'd eschew evil. I knew he wouldn't confess any sin that he hadn't done. I knew he'd stand righteous in my sight. I knew Job would make the provided sacrifice. I knew him so much I'm going to give him a revelation. Not only is he in my thoughts now, but he's in my thoughts of a resurrection. Hallelujah. He'll be there on that day. Glory to God. He says, Brother Bram says in Hebrews chapter 4, a couple quotes and we'll close. You might as well come musicians, unless you want to listen to the quotes first. He says, now haven't you had a lot of temptations? Don't complain about them. Rejoice. God's with you. He's trying to prove your faith. Look at Job in the Old Testament. When he said, have you considered my servant Job, a just man, a perfect man? There's none like him on the earth. And then it comes to a place in the message, proving his word. He says, Abraham didn't stagger anywhere at all of unbelief. He believed that God was able to perform that which he had promised. That God would prove his word no matter how long it took. Instead of getting weaker each day, like we are prone to do, he got stronger all the time. If it didn't happen today, tomorrow, it's going to be a greater miracle. Because it's one day older. He says, that was God in Abraham. For he knowed that God proved all of his words to be so. I want you to catch this now, because we're coming right down to the close here. He says, if his children will only take his word so he can prove it by you. He's not proving you. He's proving his word in you. All right. He says that's the only way he can prove his word. He doesn't prove it to unbelievers. They can't be proved. They are unbelievers. But it's not to unbelievers. It's not for unbelievers. It's to him that believes. And if he can find somebody who will believe his word. Amen, somebody? If he'll find somebody who will believe his word, he'll prove his word by you. Here we go now. And sometimes sickness and things happen to us that way so God can prove himself. Glory. Sometimes sickness happens to us, not to prove us, to prove Him. I'm going to show you, my servant Job. I'm going to show you, my servant, this one or that one living in Laodicea. Put your name there. I'm going to show you. I'm going to let sickness strike Him so I can prove my word. Hallelujah. God's proving Himself. He says, do you remember the blind man that Jesus found? Who sinned? He or his father or his mother? Jesus said, in this case, neither. But that the works of God might be made known. Hallelujah. That the works of God might be made known. See, it happened to the boy so that Jesus could be glorified. Sometimes sickness is not a curse. It's a blessing. That one deserved a long drink of water, Brother Nathan. Sometimes sickness is not a curse. It's a blessing. 
I need to say it again. Sometimes sickness is not a curse. It's a blessing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Amen. Where was I? (laughs) Sometimes sickness is not a curse. It's a blessing that we can stick our faith out there and call those things which are not as though they were. God said so and he'll prove it so if you'll just not weaken under the test. Glory! That don't weaken under the test. It's not over yet. We all want to be healthy in perfect bodies. Oh, come on, be honest. We all want to be healthy and perfect body. We don't want to get up tired. We don't want to be tired during the day. We don't want to be sick. We don't want to get a cold. We don't want to get COVID. We don't want to do this. We don't want to. Do, we just want to be healthy and perfect every day. How is God going to prove his word? We don't ever want to have an evil thought. We don't ever want to be tempted. Oh, my. I'll talk to the screen. Can I preach to you, brothers? All right. You know, we don't want to go through a rough time. We don't want to develop a bad attitude. We just want to have the right attitude all the time. Everything's perfect. We'll come home from work. We're just walking on cloud nine. Everything's in order. The children are happy. The wife's got dinner made. Everybody go, how are you doing, honey? Everything's great. The world is wonderful. How many times do we come home like that? Not very often. But we want to. Because there's something in us that says that's real. And one day it's going to be like that. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more of any of these things. But for right now, you are proving His Word. He has called you because you are in His remembrance. That when you come into the midst of the affliction that God has ordained for you. And you stand there and say, I don't care what the symptoms are. Brother Adam goes on to Solomon and he says, If Jonah, with all of his symptoms, could look around at the whale's belly and say, On the basis of the prayer of a man that backslid, I'm going to turn to the temple and say, I believe God and I reject these lying vanities. God's remembrance came to Jonah. said, that's my servant Jonah. I knew when I put him in the fish's belly. Who put him in the fish's belly? God did. It was a prepared fish. Prepared by who? By God. Just for that situation. Got swallowed up in the fish. And Brother Bram says, you never had symptoms as bad as Jonah. But then in the midst of those symptoms, Jonah says, I reject every symptom. Come on. You still might feel it. Listen, when Jonah said, I reject these lying vanities, he didn't all of a sudden wake up and he was laying on a sandy beach in the sunshine. He was still in the whale's belly. But he says, I reject it today. And I reject it tomorrow. But his deliverance was on the road. And that whale was going to spit him out at his destination because he had a purpose in life. Hallelujah. Forgive me for keeping you so long. He says, God said so. He'll prove it. 
so if you'll just not weaken under the test. He could prove Job one time that he wouldn't curse him to his face. Look at the trial that Job went through. But down in the very jaws of death, he said, the Lord gave, the Lord taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He certainly believed it and God proved his word to Job. He proved it to Abraham. He proved it so and he'll prove it to you. Hallelujah. Because you're called to prove God's word. Let's stand together. Oh, let's sing, if that isn't love. He left the splendor in heaven. 898 is the number that I have here, if you need it. Amen. Oh, that's love, saints. He left the splendor in heaven. Knowing his destiny was the lonely hill of Golgotha. There to lay down his life for me. He knew that's what it was all about. Did it bother him? No, he knew what it was all about. He never left his theophany. All of that coming to pass because he knew God would prove his word. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. He knew he would prove his word. He walked by perfect faith in what the Word says. The Word of God, your inheritance, your portion, made fully plain in this hour. Are you a son of God? Are you a daughter of God? Are you a part of God? It's your inheritance. He left the splendor of heaven. Oh, his destiny.
my love to do that. That we can stand in this hour and claim the atonement as sufficient price for everything that we have need of. Do you claim that atonement? Is it revealed to you? That atonement was paid for you. That you might possess the inheritance. I claim the blood. Same key, I think. I claim the blood. Jesus Why don't you just reach out to him tonight? Those precious blood stains. I don't have anything else to present. Made their job for me.
band just softly plays that, I claim the blood. Let's bow our heads together. I remember being in Saskatoon in Brother Menno Friesen's church. I asked him before the service. I said, do you know that song, I Claim the Blood, because I was going to preach on divine healing. I, I asked him, I said, do you know that here? He says, no, we don't know it. And I said, oh, that's too bad. Okay, well, maybe I'll find another song for after the service. And as I'm sitting there in the basement of the church, getting ready to be called to the platform, a sister get up and sung a special. And uh, you would know her, but I don't know her name. And she begins to sing this song, I Claim the Blood. And I thought, oh my, isn't that nice? Brother Menno asked the sister to get up and sing that. But he didn't. The Holy Spirit did. I asked Brother Menno after the service, did you ask her to sing that? He says, no, I didn't ask her to sing that. But God wanted it sung. Because it has a meaning in it. And it has the same meaning tonight. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Whatever you're going through, the price has already been paid. Just claim his blood as we bow our heads together in prayer this evening. Heavenly Father, you knew the needs that would be represented in this service tonight, oh God. You're the one that deals with the minister. You're the one that deals with the song leader. You're the one that deals with the musicians. You're the one, oh God, that speaks. It's your voice, oh Lord. And we just respond to you. And it brings us into that book of remembrance, oh Lord. And as we're standing here tonight, there might be somebody saying, oh Lord, you see my circumstance, but I believe you, Lord. And I'm praying, Lord, remember me. I'm standing in your presence, Lord, in the midst of my trial. And I say, Lord, remember me. Let me be the expression of your thoughts from before the foundation of the world. Be brought into remembrance in that hour. Your thoughts of healing. Your thoughts of deliverance. Your thoughts of of peace. Your thoughts of joy. Your thoughts of salvation, O God. Maybe there's somebody listening tonight that says, Oh, I don't know you, oh God, but I want to know you. Remember me like you remembered the thief on the cross. Oh, Lord, remember them, I pray. May your word go out to them, not just in their minds, Lord, but may it drive down into their souls and say, Bear witness within them that they are the sons and daughters of God. Oh, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We commit this word to you. We love you. Lord, we just ask, Lord, that you'll just bless your children in the midst of your presence tonight. Bless them, Lord. By faith, may every power of the enemy be broken, oh God. It doesn't matter what happened. It might be a fall. It might be a disease. It might be, Lord, something else that they're going through. It might be a lost job. It might be some other affliction. But, Lord, your word has paid for it all. Calvary has covered everything, oh God. Every promise is in effect. And 
you're revealing to us who we are in your presence. We love you, Lord. We love your word. We commit ourselves to you. We commit each one to you. And in your name, Lord, we bless your children. In your name, Lord, let the blessings fall from heaven upon each and every son and daughter of God. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's just sing that chorus. Draw me nearer. Draw me nearer. It's E flat, I think. Draw me